0: Love Never Fails. In these last days, revival will come, but begins with our individual walk and personal relationship with Jesus. Let's join Brother John now. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Love Never Fails with Brother John. I'm so glad you're out there. I hope you're having a great day and just, man, you know, there's so many things we could say and do and so many ways we could maybe complain. There's ways we could just grumble, but man, we woke up this morning. He gave us another gift of another day, and I'm so thankful, and I'm glad that you're listening. I, I hope today you're inspired, you're encouraged, and, and you just grow, grow, grow. You know, this whole Christian walk is not just about... Oh dear Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior. And you pray that prayer and you've got a new birthday. We call that the born again day. And then you never do anything else with it. You never become anything else. You never go anywhere else. You struggle with the same things or or maybe religion helps you clean up your language and live a little better. But what have you done? What have you accomplished? Or if I could use a word that's used in the Bible, what have you transformed into? What has become of you? Have you become what God desires for you to become? Have you and I, have we grown into this thing that, that Jesus and God, they saw in us when they planted a seed in us? When he created man, God had a vision for man. Are you growing into that to become that? Or you got a birthday, you've got your fire insurance, you've got your policy, you're good to go. You know, many times in speaking love and teaching love, people assume that that means I think they can do whatever they want. They can act any way they want. They can be whatever they want. And, you know, well, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, it's unconditional. And, and I hate to tell you that, but uh, yes, it is unconditional for salvation, But when you become a Christian, when you say, Father, come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior, and you make that commitment, there are requirements. There's, There's things throughout the Word of God that it talks about that must happen. It's not just comfort Christianity, but there's a transformation that must take place. When you are born again, you now, just like when you and I, we were born into this world, in this physical world, and we were a baby, and we squawked and squallered and wanted our mommy and our daddy and all that. We were children, and we were babies, and we had to grow. We had to mature. We had to learn things and learn what we were called to do or what we were supposed to do, and you began to grow in those things in the same manner in Christianity. We have the same responsibility when you're born again God brings alive within your spirit within you certain things that only you can do. You know, somebody the other day I had I I got to share and spend some time with somebody and and it, it came out of me that they were a worshiper. And not just to be an instrument of worship but to become worship. And I said to God before I said this to him, I'm praying, I said, But Lord, you know, I don't even understand that. And, and and I don't even because my gifting, my calling, my track is not that. Oh, yes, I worship God, I praise God, and I spend time with God, but I'm not the kind of guy that can lead others into into that area. And and my gifting, my track is in this message of love. But here was a person that that God had gifted them to become worship and help others develop that and grow in that and become what God wants to be. That's their calling. That's their place. That's their cross that they have to carry. I have mine. You have yours. But as we pursue God and we grow, these things come about. It's not just, I got a new birth date. I, I have a very good friend that he goes, well, that was me B.C., And I looked at what they said. What do you mean by BC? Goes before Christ. (laughs) Like I just started laughing. I said, I've never heard it put that way. I've never heard it put put that way. That was me BC, you know. And and when we become Christians, and we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, yes, it's it may be a hollering and squalling and crying time, and you may need some Kleenexes. You may have to go out and repent and and ask people forgiveness and stuff like that. I don't know. That's between you and God. But but it doesn't stop there. It's not six weeks later, you're just going to church, paying tithe and, and listening to a preacher, but who you really are has never changed. I mean, in a few years, you should begin to... People... Should begin to see a difference. You should begin to see a difference. Who you were BC is not who you are now. Because now you've started that path. You're you're walking your own Via Dolorosa, or your own. You're on your your own road of, to Damascus. And at some point, we begin to grow. And and uh, you know, my desire today is is to talk about Romans. I was driving down the road with a friend of mine the other day, and. We just began to minister to each other and fellowship, and just talk about, man, God is so good, and we're praying and worshiping, and it's just. When, when I get excited like that, I, I just kind of. Some people want to twirl and dance, and some people want to worship, and some want to preach, and which I do often, and and but I do this thing where I like punch the air over my head and just get all excited, and my friends just laugh, and I go, it's exciting. Because what God is doing is exciting. What he's doing in your life should, it should be exciting. It's, it's not just a new thing. It's a great thing. It's not just forgiveness of sins, which is the greatest miracle of all. Of all. It is the most important thing. But it's oh, it's a revelation of change. It's a revelation of you becoming... What God saw in you from the foundations of the earth. Can you imagine that in the beginning, God, the creator, said, let there be light. You were already in his mind. He said bring shape to the earth and let the sea and the land separate from one another and, and, and then he created uh, plants and vegetation and caused springs to bring come up through the ground to water the earth and then he created man and animals and he put man in charge and said man, named them and he had you in mind Adam may have been the first he created but he wasn't the only one he had in mind We were in his heart. We were in his in his mind and in his in his essence. He had a plan for you and I. It, the Bible says he knew the end from the beginning, which means he's rehearsed our life. He's rehearsed, he's he's been this with us. Well, brother John, you don't know. Listen, you've got here you, you, you know, and that's what I want to talk about today because Romans, it it's such an incredible book because here's Paul and and you know. Just to be blunt, my friend and I, as we were talking about Romans, I said, you know, so many people live in the first six chapters of Romans. And he said, yeah. He goes, they can't ever get past chapter six. When I try to do good, my old man is right there with me. My old nature is right there keeping pace with me, causing this and causing that. And they never seem to break free out of Romans chapter, those chapters of struggle, those chapters of you're born again, you're, you're, you just received Jesus, but that old man is keeping pace with you. But there's a change in Romans, and, and this journey that Paul takes us on in Romans, it so spiritually symbolizes our journey in life. And there's a point in time, and and I, and I love this when you get into Romans and so many talk about, you know, he talks about in, in chapter 5, he's talking about justification and salvation. He's talking about salvation and the divine method from deliverance in chapter 6. Then he gets into chapter 7, and he's talking about old relationships to sin and a new relationship to God, that struggle. But then when you get over there into chapter 8, he he begins chapter 8 by going, man, I love this. He says, there is Therefore, now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And this is one of my favorite verses. I used to just lay in bed and repeat this verse because... There was a point in time I was busting out of Romans chapter 4, 5, and 6 and and out of 7. And I wanted to live past 8. I wanted to get out of chapter 7 and get over into chapter 8 and 9. And oh my goodness, when we get to chapter 13. But it was like, how do I do this? And I was just laying in bed and say, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Did you hear that? The law of the spirit. The law of the spirit. Of life, that's the Zoe life. In Christ Jesus, has made me free. Free. This is the revelation. This is the. This is where Paul. All, all that stuff about the justification and and the redemption and and I know that I'm redeemed and I know that again he's justifying with reason all of what God has done and he's trying to explain to the Romans through their intellect and all this. But then he's pulling us into this life of the Spirit. He's pulling us into this life of the spirit where things change and something is different and you go thank you Lord and and and, my computer is acting up on this recording I don't know what's going on but praise God we're still recording but he says for the law of the spirit and life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do, it was weak through the flesh. Listen, folks, if you want to be born again and you want to live in that place of salvation, the law will always be there to outwardly force you into religion and into something. The law is, is an outward pressure or an outward containment, offense, offense. You can't cross this boundary. You can't cross that boundary. And you're you're locked into this corral of the law. And, and, and I can't do this. I can't do that. And I'm not allowed to do this. I'm not allowed to do that. And it's all the do's and don'ts. You have to do this. You have to do that. But there is a law in the life of in, in the law of the life in the spirit that is so different. Because then all those shackles and all those, all those, the, the fencing, the corrals, the barriers come down. And you begin to live and move in something else, and you say, "Well, oh, brother John, does it?" No. Let me tell you something. When you begin to live the life of of the life in the Spirit, the desire to do those things that Paul struggled, was talking about struggling with, they're gone. Now you're living in freedom. There is no need for a fence. There is no need for a barrier because the life that is in you guides you. Jesus, God said in Ezekiel, "said And I will write my law on their hearts." He will write it on our hearts. Think of that. And and It's it's like when we have kids and and the kids grow up and uh, they get in trouble and people go, well, he should know right from wrong. Because our society teaches rights from wrongs. Well, at least it used to. Most societies teach a moral law. And people should grow up learning right from wrong. It, that those boundaries are completely skewed these days. What used to be evil is now good and what was good is now considered evil. But you understand what I'm saying. And many times for many people, this, this Christian walk is nothing more than just rules and laws. Do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. You can't do this, you can't do that. And, and there's no freedom in that. Now, I had somebody one time come to me and argue and said, well, the law will, co-, you know, and I'm going, it, it, you, you got to be free from that. And and he, he got all upset with me. And I, I said, listen, I used to be a drill instructor. And we would have all these privates come in for eight weeks at a time. And in eight weeks, we would every morning we'd wake them up with trash cans and lids and chairs and you know you kick a chair down the hall, the hall to wake everybody up and privates jump up you know and they're running around and actually back then they wouldn't have been privates because they weren't in the military until they made it through basic but you 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 then put them on a schedule and you make them do pt and then they go do eat and they have to be out of their locker at this time and that time and the shoes had to look away the bed had to look away and everything had to be done according to a standard and and i realized that at the end of 8 weeks the only thing we had were young men who were too terrified to break the rules or who only knew how to keep the outward rules and i realized i said this is this is this is coaching by rules and regulations this is life by threat or, or if you do this, that's going to happen to you. If you screw up here, that's going to happen to you. But yet God comes along and says, I'm not a drill instructor. I'm not that guy. He, he comes along and says, I give you liberty. I give you freedom. Now, in reality, God's the only one who has liberty. We have freedom within that liberty. He says, I want you to make choices. I want you to make decisions. I want you to obey me but those choices are yours. And somebody said, but that doesn't make sense. I said, but it does to me because I walk in love. I, I pursue God. I desire to please God. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. The whole problem that King Saul had, he proved that he didn't love God. He made just as many mistakes as King David, but King David proved that he loved God. They were both kings. They could do whatever they wanted. They had the freedom to do whatever they wanted. They were the kings. But one king loved God and one did not. King Saul did not. How do we know that? Because he couldn't obey God. He couldn't obey God. What are you talking about, Brother John? Well, he didn't kill the kings that he was supposed to kill. And God even said, took him off the thrones. And then it's so amazing that years later, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. How do we prove we love somebody? How do we prove that love is real? It's in in the way we act, we have the freedom to go a hundred different directions. With that freedom, with that love, but when it comes to God, we obey Him. And it's not that He's there every second, going brush your teeth this way, you know, comb your hair this way, wear that sock on this foot. He, you know, I mean, if He tells you to do that stuff, you do it because there's a purpose behind it. But He's not there every second telling you what to do. He's not saying, you know, every second you must talk to that person, that person, that person, do this, do that. He gives us free will. He gives us that freedom to live and make mistakes. And then there's times he says, hey, you know, like the other night, he says, John, I need you to say something to this person. And I was like, Lord, and, and I saw what I was supposed to say and I saw all the people that would be in the room and I said, okay God I'll do it and and, and I said, but I'm gonna do it exactly the way I see it you need to bring this circumstance about you need to bring this situation about And I, I got to my destination and I you know I've been praying about and thinking about it I said, okay God I you know this word that you want me to deliver this person I'll do it I, 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 you know and I, I at one point I sat down on the couch. And as I sat down on the couch, the things that need, I, I began to see the situation arising because it was a matter of people showing up who I didn't know were coming. And it had to do with these, these were the people I was supposed to minister to. And I'm like going, so I, I told God, I said, I'm not gonna invite them. I'm not gonna force it. I'm not gonna coerce the situation. I'm not gonna make it into something it's not. I'm gonna let you do that. And so at one point, there was a phone call about, well, they're not coming. And I'm going, okay. So I got up and I went in another room and I just began to pray. I said, Lord, I'm not I'm not going to do it. And you better give me scripture for it. And, you know, I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to make it happen. You have to make it happen. I'll deliver your word because the word says out of the mouth. And he gives it to us to do. And so ended up, they came. And, and we we're sitting at the table, but the two people... One person was, the the other two weren't. I said, this is not the situation I saw. I'm not going to force it, Lord. And then some other people in another room got done eating, and these other two people came in, and they sat down. When this one person sat down next to me, then at that moment, because I thought I was out of it, I thought, okay, I'm not going to have to do it. Then at that moment, I looked up, and I realized it was all exactly the way I'd seen it in prayer. So I was supposed to ask a question. I asked the person, one of the people, a question. And the question was this, how do you know you're born again? And I knew the answer they would give me, and they gave me exactly the answer. So then I looked at another person, and I said, here's what I heard the Lord say. Now, the neat thing is, is before any of this had happened, about an hour prior to that, I had written something down and basically put it away, and, and, and I told somebody. I said, I told them what the Lord told me to tell them. And then I and and praise God it worked it or not worked but it ministered to them and I asked somebody else said would you go over there and I wrote something about an hour ago would you and they went and got it they go wow you know and I just wanted them to know that it wasn't me it was God and and the freedom there but I said God I said you've asked me to do something I'm not gonna play games with it I'm not gonna I'm not gonna coerce it I'm not gonna force it to happen but I will obey you because I loved you. And then God spoke to that person and and administered to them. And, and the only thing I was doing was being obedient. But do you know, he hasn't told me anything like that today. He didn't tell me anything like that the day before, the day before that, or the day before that. He doesn't do, you know, yes, I believe God's always talking, but he's not always telling me, hey, I need you to, you know, and, and, and it's not like 24-7 as a drill instructor, I was st- on top of people 24-7 making sure they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. But God gives us free will to choose. Do you want to obey or do you not want to obey? King Saul didn't want to obey. He wanted to do things his way. David made mistakes. He did things on his own. But when God spoke to him about doing something, he obeyed. And how did he prove he loved God? By being obedient. But there's freedom in that. I tell you, I was talking with someone the other day about, you know, when, when you obey God, he gives you the desires of your heart. And, and you, I remember for so long, I, several years, several times in my life, I've had long seasons of prayer. And, and I remember the first one I ever went into in the, in the, uh, this 30 years ago, I, I was concerned. I was worried. I was scared because I was like, if I do this, if I actually start, pr- if I spend this eight weeks fasting and praying and, and doing this, is God going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do? I was, I, that thought scared me. It scared me. If I actually, for the next eight, this summer break, when I was in college, if, if I do this, quit my job and do this, what am I going to turn into? I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to be a, one of these people. I, 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 I could care less about any of that. I didn't want it. And, and after eight weeks of going to the church every day and, and I would fast and pray and I'd read the Bible and I was like, Lord, I love Paul. I want to live like Paul. I want to experience what Paul experienced. I want to know you the way Paul knew you. After eight weeks I, or after about six weeks, I was convinced I wasn't even born again. Because studying the Bible, I had never in my life studied the Bible and read the Bible and I said, Lord, I can't get through 1 John. I cannot get through 1 John. I couldn't get through Ephesians. I couldn't. And it, I, was, I was flabbergasted. I said, Lord, I've been a Christian. I had a born again date. But I was like, I don't think I'm a Christian. Because when I held the word up to my life, I didn't see it. I saw my life. I didn't see God in my life. Oh, there were times he was working with me. He was working. And and that's a season. That's back when I was in Romans 4 and 5 and 6, and, and I was still struggling, and I didn't want to accept the call of God in my life. I still wanted to be able to go to a bar, and I still wanted to do all that stuff. But God was working on me. And it was during that season that I broke out of that nature, not completely, but I broke out and I began to realize and see some things that God began to speak to me. And, and he told me some things and I'm like, oh, wow. And of course I made mistakes and, and all that, but I began to say there's something more than just being born again or having a date. and And Romans, he does such a good job. I mean, he's masterful. Thank goodness he was listening to the Holy Spirit when he, he wrote this down for the Holy Spirit. But it, it's amazing because in Romans 5, let's listen to this, because he, he, in Romans 5, he really begins to talk about the born again experience. And he says this, he goes, um, therefore being justified by faith. That's, I mean, he's talking about salvation. We have peace through God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You're born again. By whom we have access in his faith, this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So he's talking about tribu- he's talking about tribulation, he's talking about patience, he's talking about the whole gamut. But it's interesting because he says this, he goes, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given into us. You might want to look at uh, Hebrews 10, 16. Let's go there real quick. And and uh it, it's I love this scripture because what's he saying? He's saying when you're born again, God deposited, and we're going to see another scripture here in a minute, God deposited something in you. And and here's here's this, I, I made reference to this earlier, Hebrews 10, 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and on their minds will I write them. And, and he's he's talking about salvation there, but it's so cool because here Paul is saying that while we were yet sinners in, Ro- in chapter 5, verse 8, but God can love sinners. Christ died for us. How much more than being justified it by his blood should we be saved? How much more than? If you go through Romans 5, he said that so many times. How much more so? How much more so? How much more so? How much more so should you just having a new birth date? have you ever, I don't know, cup of coffee? Maybe you were sitting in a bar, driving down the road, walking on a path or out jogging. Have you ever thought there's got to be more than this? That's a very righteous and holy question to be asking. There's got to be, is this as good as it gets? Because, I mean, that's really what he's saying right now. It's not just about being, okay, I'm born again. I go to church. I do what I'm supposed to do. I'm a good man. You know, maybe one day I'll be able to... It's not the doing and even... It's not about being an American. It's not about the Western mindset. It's about transformation. We'll get into it later here in a few minutes in Romans. But Romans even says that all of creation's waiting with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Who do you think they are? We're in the last days, folks. I mean, they look around at what's going on in the world. If you don't know, if you don't understand any of this prophecy, if you don't understand what's going on, let me just assure you, e- even non-Christians know something's coming that we're towards the end. Everybody talks about it. I, I saw a play earlier today and, and it had Buddhist influences all in it. And even they referred to the end of the world. Listen, folks, it's easy to be blind to what's going on because of Facebook and Twitter and the TV and all of that stuff. You can entertain yourself into comfort. But not the kind of comfort that God can give you. You can entertain yourself into spiritual blindness but God is telling you there's something to come and you know it, I know it, the world knows it. And it says, but God commanded his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much more than being justified by his blood? Verse 10 says, if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more being reconciled, shall we be saved in life? That to me says, if you basically are the same thing you were B.C. As you are now, where's that justification? Where's that home? How much more so in this life? (sighs) Brother John, you're not being nice. You're not being fair. That's just not. Listen, I can't address every issue on a 45 minute radio show. But what I can address is what the Word says right here. And I will say this to who, if you're out there listening and you want to get upset with me because I'm saying that you're not transformed or whatever, I'm not saying that. That's that's between you and God. What I am saying is I'm a signpost and I'm going to point you in the right direction and I will tell you the truth. If all you did was go to the altar and say, dear Jesus, be my Lord and Savior, you got up and walked out the door and you go back every Sunday and pay your tithes, your insurance policy may have expired before you stood up. Because there is fine print on that insurance policy. It's called the Bible. It's called the word of God. And he says that he will write that word on your heart. And if you don't follow after that word, if you don't nurture it, he said right there in Romans chapter 5 that he shed his love into your heart. That is not love like we see on TV, love like we see in Hollywood. That is not love like we brotherly love. I love you, man. That's not that kind of love. The love that was shed abroad in your heart is agape. Agape is a noun. And he put a seed, a mustard seed portion of it, in your heart if you were sincere about that. What do you do with a seed? You cultivate it, you fertilize it, you make it grow. And at some point, have you ever read the Word of God and you see all these scriptures about trees and trees that produce fruit? At some point, that seed is supposed to become a tree. We've done whole episodes on this, and, and we'll revisit it in the future. But at some point, that seed is supposed to grow. What have you done with the agape seed nature that was planted in you? What have you done with it? It's called transformation. Have you done with it? Have you begun to grow? Are you turning into that which was planted in you? you maybe you've heard the expression, that which was on the inside of me is co- consuming the outside of me. It's an all-consuming fire. Father, let what's inside me consume the outside of me. Well, what's inside of you is the love of God. That's what he deposited into your heart that night that you said, Lord, be my Lord. He put a portion of that in there. Now what have you done with it? Because see, if you don't love, then you've done nothing with it. If you don't love others, you've done nothing with it. If you can't obey God, then you're proving you've done nothing with it. First John says if you hate, then you've done nothing with it. If you, It says if you shutteth up the bowels of mercy within you, then you've done nothing with it. It says how if you see your brother or sister in need and cannot give to them, then you've done nothing with it. The love of God, the agape love of God, was planted in your heart. And, and when it was planted there, it was planted with an expectation to grow. To become full, mature love. That's the whole teaching out of Ephesians, but it's also here in Romans. And, and we'll keep working through this. But he didn't just give you that seed so that you could die in that old man nature, he gave you that seed so that when you pass on to heaven, when you pass on and you walk into heaven, he's going to look at you and he's going to, he may say, "Well done, thy good and faithful servant," but I believe he'll say something else. He's going to ask you, "Did you learn to love?" Jesus said in John 13, 34, this is my command that I renew with you. I know it says in most Bibles, my new command, but that word new is actually the word bosco, which means to renew. Renew something that always was because what love always was, love always will be. And, and if you think you're walking into the throne room of God when you die to sit on your daddy's lap, I hate to tell you this, but the only thing that's walking into the throne room, and we can study this in Hebrew sometime, is love. Pentecostal doesn't walk into the throne room without love. Baptist doesn't walk into the throne room without becoming love. Charismatic doesn't walk into the throne room without becoming love. Chinese persecuted Christians do not walk into the throne room unless they become love or they're under the bench. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you've done. This show goes into Central and South America and it's heard around the world. And let me say something to you, wherever you are in the world, whatever ethnicity you are, whatever color your skin is, whatever language you speak, if you don't become love, you're missing out on so many incredible things. I can sit here and teach you that uh, so many different things out of the Word of God that maybe many of you are praying for them, you're begging God for things. God, it says in your Word this, it says in your Word that. Maybe you're running around carrying these three-by-five cards, confessing these scriptures every day, and they're not working. But by golly, I'm not a quitter, I'm going to stick to it. Good. How about you add a little love to the mix and see what happens? How about you quit being so self-centered and start loving others and watch what happens to you because there's an expression that says the garden hose gets just as wet as whatever it's watering. If you will go out and give love away, I guarantee you, you'll reap love. If you'll go out, that's the whole paradox of Christianity is whatever you give, you get back. Well, I'm not giving that up. I love it. Yeah, you love things more than you love that. So, you know, many people... They they serve. They say that they serve God all their lives, but yet they don't love. And and the Bible is very clear that someone who says that they love has to show it, has to produce it. It's it's, it's a it says it's in Psalm one. It says in Ezekiel forty seven. It says, "And your leaves will be for healing, and your fruit will be for life. Your fruit is love." Now I know. And we've done this before we'll do it again you're going well no the fruit of the spirit and you start quoting that scripture but you're quoting that scripture wrong that scripture go look at what happened it's like okay you know i guess it's this the nature of the world we live in now everything is upside down and everything is wrong and everybody accepts it that way the fruit that's singular fruit is singular the fruit of the spirit all of that is singular The fruit of the Spirit is love. There's not a single plural in there. So I guess the King James people are just, they were just a bunch of idiots and they didn't understand English grammar. But if you go study it out in other languages and in other versions, that's not what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, semicolon. The rest of the things make up the love of God. They are all parts of the love of God. Let me explain it to you like this. If I invite you to my house tonight, and I say, hey, come on, we're going to have dessert at my house tonight. Dessert and coffee. Come on. When you get there, we'll, you don't even have to bring anything. Just bring your favorite mug. We'll fill it up with coffee and let's have dessert. And it's exciting. You know, all these people are going to be there. You've been waiting all day. I'm going to hang out. It's going to be fun tonight. And you show up at my house and the coffee's ready. And you pour your coffee. You get your cream and your sugar in it. And you go around the counter looking for the dessert. Where are the desserts? And instead of desserts, you see a bowl of flour. You see a bowl of sugar. You see a bowl of butter, a bowl of raw eggs. And you see a bowl of cinnamon and spices. You go, where's the cake? And I say to you, oh, here, have a little, put a little bit of flour on your plate. Put a little egg on your plate. Put a little cinnamon on your plate. Here's some baking powder. Put it on your plate. Just mix it up and eat it. You would, you would think I was a nut. You would think I was a nut. But yet that's how we teach that scripture. It is the love of the spirit. The whole cake, or I mean, the fruit of the spirit. The whole cake is love. The other things are parts of love. It's like an apple. If you bite, the apple is love. If you bite into the apple, you taste the self-control. You you taste the joy, the juice. You you taste the meat of the of the apple, which is the patience, and down inside is the seed, and 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 so all those different parts make up the apple. But it's still the apple. The apple is the love. The love is the fruit of the Spirit. That is what was shed abroad in your heart when you were born again. And and over the next, if you'll keep listening, you keep learning, you'll go, wait a second. What? You mean everything? It's all about love. It is all about love. And we're going to have to jump to this next episode. We're going to have to do this because we're still over here in Romans 5, and I want to get through this exciting experience of what Paul talks about where we we, we learn that we're justified. We, we pray the sinner's prayer, and we ask God to come in our heart, and we're reconciled to him is as, as what he talks about and what the law couldn't do for us. Now we have freedom in the life of Christ Jesus, and and, and you're growing and learning, and that love has been shed abroad in your heart. And, you, and, and he says this in, in, let's jump to chapter eight. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do. That's what I was talking about. When I was a drill instructor, I realized I could put rules and regulations on people, but I could not change their character. The only thing I did was control them. I could not change the inner man. Let me tell you something, folks. You could be anywhere in the world and 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 be under a communist regime, under a Western mindset, under a, a whatever, a, a fascist or whatever. You could be anywhere in the world, and the one thing they can never control is your inner man. Oh, you may do everything right on the outside and obey their rules and regulations, but nobody's ever been able to control the inner man, the mind. And the inner man no the spirit of man they might break your spirit they might they might mold you but there' are always those who rise up there because why because no matter what they do the law the regulations the oppression cannot do that and that's what Paul's saying right here he says for what the law could not do it was weak through the flesh why because the law affects the flesh the outward man. The outward man. So religion and all these rules and regulations is about the outward man. But God, sending his own son in the likeness of the sinful flesh and sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So by sending Jesus here, he condemned all of that. And he said, for the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the law or the flesh, but after the spirit. And what is the spirit? What is the spirit? Who is God? What is God? He's love, agape, and he put a portion of his nature in you. That's what the Spirit is. The Holy Spirit, however you want to say it, and and if it's God, if it's Jesus, if it's the Holy Spirit, it's love. Jesus was the greatest. He was the example of love set forth for us. He was the demonstration of the potential of love that you and I could walk in. And he said, and you can do greater works. He wasn't just referring to miracle signs and wonders. He was referring to the God nature. What is the God nature? The God nature is the God inside of you that you can live by. And what is that love? Agape, agape, agape. Agape, it's all, it's agape. And remember, agape is a noun. It says in verse five, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Why? If you're after the law, you're after the outward appearance, you're after everything that's on the outside, you're after the flesh, which is why you have that struggle with all those things. Why? Because those struggles are not from the outward. They're from inside you. They're from down inside your old nature. And the only thing that can overcome that is to grow love is the nature that was shed abroad in your heart. Remember the story, and, and I hope I explained this correctly. Where Jesus is saying, if if a man if a man's house is cleaned out, the demons leave him, and it's all swept clean. That's what religion does. Everything's swept clean. You've prayed and asked God to forgive you, and and now everything's swept clean. But you don't begin to fill that house with something else. When he comes back, what's he going to find? He's going to find a nice, clean house, and he's going to bring more demons with him. You're going to end up worse off than you were before. Jesus was talking about that. So what do you put in there? What goes in there? What spirit? Have you ever read that and go, what's he talking about? What, What do I put in here so I don't get filled again with all these bad things? You put love in. You put the spirit of love in you fill it with love and when love grows in there listen love and hate cannot co- coexist together they are opposites that's why G- god says in first john you cannot hate your brethren and love god you cannot do it you cannot be cruel to other people and love god it's impossible if it, it, i don't care if you're wearing a suit and a tie and preaching this sunday If you hate people, you're not born again. You are are deceived is what 1 John says. If you treat people like dirt, you're cruel, you're mean, and all those things, the Bible says that that it's obvious that you're not born again. You do not have the nature of God, the love of God in you. For he who is carnally minded is death. Well, there you go right there. That's, that's the next verse, and yet they, we just explained it. What is carnally minded? It's You know, I, everybody goes, well, that's drinking, that's smoking, that's drugs, that's thieving. Yeah, but that's also cruelty, hate, gossip, slander, religion. Carnally minded is referring to the world's nature, the old way, the B.C. man. That's what it's referring to. It's death. It's death. But he that liveth is, is spiritually minded is life and peace. Oh, I love that because you know, what is life? The Zoe life. How do you tap into the Zoe life by loving? And and we're running out of time, but when we get to Romans uh, further into Romans you're going to be like, "Oh my gosh. What is being spiritually minded? It's 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 endeavoring to walk in love." See, there's two different words for love. Well there's actually 32 different words in the Bible used for love. The two that I'm referring to that you've heard is either agape or agapeheo. Now you've probably also heard phileo and a lot of people preach on the brotherly love nature which is phileo and all the different words Philadelphia all of that. But I'm speaking, I'm preaching on the victorious love, the the God kind of love, the transforming kind of love. And the nature of God is agape. When we were created in His image in man, when Adam was created and Eve were created, they were created in agape, in the image of God. That's what the image of God is, is love. It's not just five fingers, toes, hair, eyeballs, all that. I mean, I don't have a sword coming out of my mouth and fiery eyes like Jesus. But I do have the image of love. I have the potential to be recreated and born again and develop the image of love in my life. And so I have the potential. So that love nature was lost when Adam ate of the apple. Why? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So what did they do? They disobeyed God. And the funny thing is that liar, the devil, and he'll do this to you. They were creating the image of God. And what's the first thing the devil attacked? He goes, well... If you do this, you'll be like God. The first thing out of Adam's mouth, and, and I'm not condemning Adam, I'm not any of that, but the thought comes to me, Adam, why didn't you just say, I'm already like God? Like kind is what Genesis says. I'm already like God. But no, he didn't do it. The deception was so strong, like just like it is in the media and in the world. The deception is so strong, you don't realize you already are, so you fall for it. But, if, but we get into Ephesians talking about love, and he tells you that you won't be swayed back and forth by the cunning teachings. Why? Because you're rooted and grounded in love. I love that. Rooted and grounded, that's the image of that seed growing. That that seed that was planted in your heart is growing and, and, and coming into all the fruition of what you're supposed to do. And after a while, you keep practicing and developing. What happens? That tree that was you begins to produce fruit. But he... he it, so I I... I am running rabbit trails, but I started out by saying that it's agape. So how do we develop that? How do we nurture that? How do we? Well, that's the other word. Agape is is a noun. It's a description of who God is and what we are to become, and what was shed abroad in our heart. But then there's agapeo, used almost as many times as the word agape. So you've got agape and agape-he-o. Agape-he-o, agapeo. Agapeo, a g a p e o, is a verb. It's an action. It's what you do. It's I, I call it the daily practice and endeavoring to mimic or imitate love. Cause see. You don't want to wake up in the morning. When we wake up in the morning, most of us, we don't just wake up and go, oh, you know, we, we wake up and, and and it's it's it doesn't take long before something comes at us. It's something breaks forth and says, I'm going to steal your joy. I'm going to cause this. I'm going to cause that. And you want to lose your love. And, and, and so every day you have to remind yourself, you have to just choose and say, okay. And, and what happens is you renew your mind to it and the old ways pass away. And now the love nature get, begins to take over and grow and mature within you. And the next thing you know... You're walking in love. And people are going, why why did you let them do that to you? Well, I'm not worried about it. I forgive them. You know, somebody said to me, John, every time you help people, one out of two of them rip you off. I said, yep, you're right. I mean, it was the truth. He goes, then why do you do it? I said, because for the one that does it right, the one that doesn't rip me off, it's worth it. And it's not for me to decide what they do with what God tells me to give them. That's between them and God. I'm not going to curse them. I'm not going to say anything bad. I'm going to bless them, and and, and I'm going to move on. If God told me to give something away or help somebody or do something to bless somebody, then who am I to question how God deals with them or handles any of it later? You know, I, I prefer that people don't steal from me, lie to me, cheat me, do all of that stuff. I, I'm sure Jesus preferred that he didn't—well, we know he preferred not to have to hang on the cross because he sweated blood. But could— he still did it because he sees the potential he saw that it was worth it so when people do us wrong and and we don't feel like walking in love and we're we're stressed out or whatever we it's okay they know not what they do father So we're going to have to pick some of this up in the next episode. But as we go forward and, and we start talking about the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you, that he raised Christ up from the dead and quickened your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So he said over there in Romans 5, 5, that he shed that spirit, that love, that seed in you. And now he's talking about, why? Because now he's no longer talking about the struggle. He's beginning to start talking about the victory. He's starting to talk about the transformation, the journey. Where, where in in the early parts of Romans, he's talking the law. He's talking justification. He's talking the struggle. He's talking about the sin nature and the law couldn't help then in Romans, he here in Romans 8, he cuts it off. He goes, Because what the law couldn't do, the Spirit has done and will do. And, and so he's talking about the life of Christ in you, which is love. The life of love. It, folks, the life of Christ was a demonstration of love. For God so loved the world, he gave. Jesus said, I give, I renew un, with you my original command. To love one another even as I have loved you He loved you even as I have loved you Even as Think of that and then so as as we kind of speed through this, and I'm I'm just trying to get something out to you, and I know I'm skipping a lot. I'm hitting the high roads of this journey through Romans because I'm trying to get something through to you. I don't know if you're gonna be listening next week or whatever. But he says with e, and and he's and and if you go through Romans, so he's coming down, he's talking about the spirit. He says, For you live after the flesh, you shall die, but if you live through the spirit to do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. How do you what is the spirit? The spirit is love. And then he says this in verse 14, and for so many years I, I pondered this, I studied this, and I was focused. And he said, for the on, on getting this secret, he said, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption, whereby we say, Abba Father. For the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, no more struggle. Salvation experience. He's now talking about your adoption. And he says that you be led by the Spirit. The Spirit of what? The Spirit of love. I hear people teaching. That two of my favorite things to teach on is love and being led by the Spirit. And, and and I always teach them together because you can never teach someone to be led by the Spirit apart from love. Because there's many spirits out there. But you can always test the spirits. How? Love. If it's a spirit of love, then it's probably a spirit of what? God. There is only one spirit. But the point is, is is, you can't be led by the spirit and not love. That's impossible according to the word of God. You're deceived if you are or you're working through familiar spirits or whatever it is. But the love of God is the spirit of God. And, and, and many of you, you still have a mindset that love is weak and, and, and all these different things that you don't ever want to be, but that's because you don't understand love. You don't understand love yet. You don't understand the God kind of love. So to you, you a lot of what I'm saying to you today, you're, you're misconstruing love because of what the world has taught you what love is, what Hollywood has taught you what love is, what Dr. Seuss taught you what love is. But in reality, love is not those things. That's the that's the man version of love the God kind of love is something completely different and I believe with all of my heart it is what we will walk in before he returns all of creation he goes on to say this in verse 19 for with earnest expectation all of creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God what are the sons of God if God is love then what should the sons of God be if, if the devil is hate and sin and all of that, then what would his children be? So if God is love, his spirit is love, his son walked love and, ex- and, and taught us love and, ex- and, and, and gave us the example of love, and, and, and the glory of God is love, that's a whole other thing. Many of you probably be like, oh, I love the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. Let me tell you, the Shekinah glory of God was the manifest presence of the love of God that sat on the ark. It's what descended in, in the Holy of Holies. And that's why I, and we'll have to do a great teaching on this, about why, apart from love, you cannot walk into the throne room of God. Well, Brother John Hebrews says, therefore boldly. No, 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 no. listen. First off, before you just go, go quoting scripture about what you can or can't do, are you where he was when he wrote that? And have you are you taking the whole counsel of the word of God? Because you are not bounding into the throne room of God if you haven't learned to love. Paul said that he was caught up into a different level of heaven. And I, I, I maybe will do this teaching, but there are a lot of people you're going to get to heaven and you're going to have to spend a while learning what you didn't practice here. You know, because for how many of us, when we get to heaven, God's going to look at us and say, did you learn to love? No, you got to go to school. And, And I'm speculating here on some of this, but you're getting the point, I hope. The scriptures clearly teach us love, love. That is the new nature. It is who you were created to be. That's why so many of you out there listening, see, you became born again. You accepted Jesus Lord, and then your life just turned neurotic and, and full of controversy, and you're at conflict with yourself. You know something's not right. I'm telling you why. Because your new nature wants you to walk in love. Your new nature wants you to love, but you refuse to do it. So you struggle and you debate and you worry and you stress and, 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 and people think you're wacko or whatever. and, and Or people think you're, you don't know Jesus or people think you're not born again. Why? Because you're not walking in love. I mean, I know people who don't know these scriptures and couldn't teach this and, and they walk in love in such incredible measures. But it's obvious. You know why the world mocks the church? Because even the world knows that we're supposed to be love and become love, and we haven't. Oh, there's been a few here there, and there's been restoration of the Word and teaching of the Word and different things, but what God's endeavoring to do in these last days before any kind of revival can come is that people rise up and begin to walk and talk and act like God. And what is that? That's love. Walk and talk and begin to act like agape. For the law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You need to overcome something? Then throw yourself into the law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. What is that? Love. What is the law that Jesus gave us? He gave us one command, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. So what is the law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus? Love. The Spirit, the law of the Spirit is love. it it, it, it's and and it's so simple it's confusing and complicated because people want it to be hard oh let me tell you something if you will walk in love your life will have enough challenges and be hard enough (laughs) you'll be like okay i'm staying right here the abuses people will say oh well you know They'll just walk in love. I, literally, I can tell you that in the last 25, 30 years, people, I've heard people say out loud, well, John will forgive us. He'll walk in love. They'll make decisions to do me and my family wrong, and then they'll go, well, they'll forgive us. They're going to walk in love. They know ahead of time. But do we do that all the time with Jesus? We sin and then go, well, Jesus will forgive me. They'll do it to him. They'll do it to you. Walking in love is the greatest challenge you could ever have, both victorious and and edifying and encouraging, but people will not understand you, and they will come after you with everything they've got because they don't understand it. it. But it is what God wants us to be. He said, as they've hated me, they'll hate you. So don't fret. Don't worry. Let it go and just walk in love. When we come back next episode, we'll pick up where we've left off and keep going because there's a journey here. We've got to get through this exciting journey in Romans. Listen, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And uh, may God bless you. And, and would you bless God? Bless God by b- being love to somebody tomorrow. Love somebody today and tomorrow. And in doing so, cause them to cry out to God and bless him. Live in a manner that causes people to praise God because of you. We love you and appreciate you, and thank you for listening. Remember, Jesus loves people, and love never fails. Thank you for listening to Love Never Fails as we pursue revival. Remember, Jesus loves people, and love never fails. For more information on Love Never Fails and ministry events, please email us at love never fails with bro john at gmail.com that's love never fails with b-r-o-j-o-h-n at gmail.com